Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fifth in our series of Light Sensitivity Awareness Podcasts. My name is Rodney Mountain, and I'm here today with Professor Sally Ibbotson and Anne McPherson, a patient at the service here in Dundee. We're recording from the Scottish Photobiology Service in the Photobiology Unit at Ninewells Hospital, and we're here today to discuss light sensitivity. The series of podcasts is a part of the ongoing patient engagement work that the service is involved in. We try to raise awareness of light sensitivity conditions in order to reduce the time that it takes for patients to be referred for testing and also, and very importantly, to improve the lives of our patients. So I'd, I'd like to start with a few introductions and Anne, do you mind just making a start? My name's Anne McPherson and for the past approximately 10 years, I have lived with solar urticaria, chronic actinic dermatitis and polymorphic light eruption, which were all diagnosed at roughly the same time. And Anne, I'm always fascinated to know how this all started, when it started, <laughs> how you became aware there was something was not right. That's easy. I remember it. I can still picture myself out in the garden, hanging up washing, beautiful summer's day. And I love seeing washing hanging out in the line. And my husband was tidying up some sticks over in the corner of the garden and went over and just picked up a few twigs off the grass and um, just to help out back in the house, making the dinner. And later that evening, both my forearms started to get very itchy. So I thought, short sleeve t-shirt, no sun cream on, that's fine. But started then, both arms got really red. Then they came out in a rash and were swelling up as well, right down to my fingertips. And you could actually see the fluid in them. And that was very abnormal. Mm -hmm. So I made a doctor's appointment, went down, didn't know what it was, gave me steroid creams, etc., and said, must have been something in the sticks in the garden I'd picked up and obviously touched. So that was fine. Tried the various creams, didn't make much difference. But over the next period of time, a couple of weeks, they went back to normal, my arms. Then I noticed I started getting patches of redness on my neck and on my face. And wow. I had no idea what on earth was happening. I just thought, how can I be burned in the sun? And even through the car window, my face was getting burned still up and down to the GPs, more than I'd ever been in my life, trying various sun creams, everything else. Got a referral to dermatology in Stob Hill in Glasgow. The doctors there were marvellous, didn't know what it was, etc. And my husband also sings in choirs. So one day I happened to be at one of his concerts, say it was a Saturday, Sunday, very busy downstairs. It was an old church. I remember going upstairs to the balcony and I was very close to a chandeliers with long life light bulbs in them because of where I was sitting. And that evening when I went home, my whole face oh, had nice. swollen up both eyes. They were almost closed and my face was very sore. Luckily, I had an appointment at dermatology the next day at Stop Hill. And as soon as they saw me, they had a pretty good idea what was wrong by that time. And I always remember the doctor went and get another consultant in just to verify it. And it took a little while, but I got a fair lot to Nine Wells and Dundee. Came in here on the Sunday and left on the Friday with the diagnosis. And that was through a whole lot of different testing that you had when you were That's right. Got all the various testing and I'd never heard of Nine Wells Hospital, let alone the conditions. So there was then a huge learning experience to go through. And I remember you sitting at the side, the doctor telling me in front of me what 
my condition was. And I turned and looked at the window and said, so you're telling me the light coming in that window is affecting me right now? And it was yes. And I heard the words, but I couldn't actually understand. It's always very difficult. That was I very think difficult. when a new diagnosis Definitely. is made. It's, um, just... And then going home and starting to deal with it. And I had been given information at the time, protective covering for the windows, hat, gloves, Dundee creams as well, etc. And then a review appointment to come back up for more testing. And then it progressed from there over the next years. And then how many years ago was that? It's approximately back? 10 years. 10 years ago. And, you know, just day-to-day -day life and what you do and your family and Huge work and impact. play and things. How, what your, sort of impact does it have? Your behaviour changes, your environment totally changes because it's all so new. So you're still trying to do things and you're aggravating your own health condition with it. I should add that I also have celiac disease. So I think I was pre-programmed to accept change more readily than someone else might have been because I'd already changed my diet and lifestyle because I'd been so unwell with celiac disease and when I changed I knew the benefit I got from it. So I very rarely and very heartily took on board everything I'd been told yeah. to do and I spent the next couple of years and we got UV beads, used to put them on my shoes, I wore a bracelet, I had a UV meter to get the light what time of day I could go out how bad it was, how good it was, etc. The UV beads changed colour. So if I forgot about it for any reason, they would they, change colour. It gave yeah. me a prompt yeah. as well. So using them, that helped me. But it took me, I've got numerous hats in my house till I found one that I was comfortable with. It wasn't so much the price, it was what can I actually wear that'll do the job. And eventually I found the right hat that suited me. The same with gloves, finding various gloves. Your clothing, I was very much a pastel shade colour person and it's much darker, very depressing colours, <laughs> I think, now that you wear because you're looking at the reflection attitude. Even in summer, winter, spring or autumn, you're watching where you go or where you walk if you're outside because you're looking at the reflection of the snow, the reflection of the glass and the water bouncing up onto you. Yeah, that's something so, I've never thought about, but that's so true. It's all yeah, that uh, other all, light. Yeah, it's all the other ways yeah. that get you. So when I go out, I generally have a UV umbrella. It was expensive, but it's one of the best things. I've now, I know nothing about UV umbrellas. Could uh, you explain that to me? Basically, it's exactly the same looking as a normal umbrella. The only difference is it's like matte green mm -hmm. felt that you would get on a snooker table. That's your coating underneath, so there's no reflection at all. The outside of it's silver, so that it keeps as much off you as it can. So for me, it's worked marvellously and allows me a day like this. If I had a doctor dentist appointment to go to, I will use my UV umbrella when I come out of the car then, because again, it gives me less contact with light. Well, I learned so much coming to these <laughs> sessions. This is fantastic. <laughs> And we'll cross over to Sally, I suppose, to get a perspective on solar urticaria, chronic actinic dermatitis, polymorphic plaque eruptions. Yeah, yeah, no, what so, they are and, uh, yeah, very much so. And I suppose just to sort of take it back a wee step even before that, just to explain a little bit about the Scottish Photobiology Service. So, as Anne pointed out, you were referred from your GP to your local dermatology team in Stob Hill. And then from there on to ourselves here in Dundee. So 
where we sort of host the Scottish Photobiology Service, which is a national service funded by Scottish government, by national services, that is there for all patients throughout the entire of Scotland with the specific purpose of investigating and diagnosing and managing and supporting patients with light sensitivity diseases. So Anne has three light sensitivity diseases. <laughs> so you are, I think, if you don't mind me saying, a fairly rare example of somebody who has more than one light sensitivity disease. So the conditions that Anne has are two quite rare light sensitivities. And I think when you first presented, Anne, the one that was most obvious and most troublesome for you was the solar urticaria. So that is a rare light sensitivity where you immediately, within seconds of light exposure, and that is light throughout the year, so not just in summertime, and it's the UVA invisible light usually, so it is the sort of light that would come through window glass. You know, you can be trolled with artificial lighting, it can come through clothing, it can be there on a January cloudy day. So within seconds, Anne was troubled with that. It's as quick as that. Your skin starts getting red. And And with solar to care, as I say, we don't fully understand the cause of it, but we think in some ways the light modifies a chemical or protein in your skin to produce an antibody. And you get this light nettle rash hives, wheels, really, that Mm. immediate light sensitivity. And patients can sometimes, if they have large areas affected, can actually feel quite unwell with it and get soreness of the eyes, can feel intense fatigue, headache and lightheaded and with full body exposure you can actually be very unwell so that's a rare light sensitivity which patients are usually very very aware of the link with sunlight because there's no doubt you have some light exposure whether that's daylight or artificial light or light through a window and then you immediately get the rash and that will settle in a few hours but Anne also has two other more delayed light sensitivity conditions. She has chronic actinic dermatitis, which is a light sensitive eczema, which again is rare, but can be associated with other types of allergy. But there your problem would usually develop over hours or days of exposure and will last for days to weeks. And then and also has the third light sensitivity condition, which in itself is actually quite common, polymorphic light eruption, Polymorphic light eruption on its own affects about one in five people in this part of the world. And even that's probably an underestimate because many people will think it's an odd sunburn or a reaction to a sunscreen and may not necessarily even get as far as going to the doctor. And those people who do have it, most of them will call it prickly heat. Mm-hmm. And the typical story there would be someone either going on holiday or on an intensely sunny day in spring, summer in Scotland would, after a few hours of exposure, get a raised, lumpy, bumpy rash, which will last for a few days and then disappear. So that in itself, in its mildest form, we really only investigate and diagnose the tip of the iceberg of people with polymorphic light eruption. Most people will never get as far as even their GP or their local dermatologist, never mind ourselves. But in Anne's case, she additionally has that light sensitivity too. So the light testing that we do through the service does involve, we've got normal population ranges, so we know what sorts of responses the non-light sensitive Scottish population will have to the light testing that we do. The light testing allows us to test to the very individual wavelengths of light across the whole sun spectrum, so UVB, UVA, visible light. 
but it also allows us to do things like provocation testing where we can try and provoke rash and we do a variety of other testing which may include allergy testing in Anne's case she also has some allergies to some of the sunscreen chemicals which makes the problem of well, life protection yeah. a bit more challenging so the testing that we do we do as a whole sort of package if you like it's detailed light testing it's detailed allergy testing we will usually also do blood tests to rule out things like rare light sensitivities due to things like lupus or drugs and it's through that very detailed testing that we can come up with the diagnosis of, okay, in Anne's case, you've got these three different conditions because they will have different features on the testing, et cetera, which is obviously very helpful then, we hope, in terms of being able to offer you advice on management and, okay, which sunscreens do you need to protect against the wavelengths we know you're sensitive to, sorts of practical measures do you need to have in place, do you need to get LED bulbs at home or double envelope bulbs at home, these sorts of things. And so our role doesn't stop, obviously, at doing, although we are a, predominantly a diagnostic service, we're definitely, our role doesn't stop there. Mm -hmm. Our role is long term in terms of keeping in contact, retesting, advising on management. And we work with the local dermatology teams and the GPs, and in particular, you, Anne, in the middle of all of this as the key in it all, to make sure that we've got the right treatment and management approach and we increasingly recognize the importance of trying to support you emotionally psychologically etc and on the basis of that we've developed our sort of patient engagement program because we're very aware that light sensitivity which i think in your case you really very clearly show and does have massive impact on life and we need to adapt around that Oftentimes, our advice will need to also be in trying to get people to relax their light protection measures as well, because sometimes actually strict sun avoidance is not the right thing to do. And actually trying to get little bits of hardening exposure out the way forward. So in a nutshell, that's sort of what we do. And we try and offer our support as best as possible to you and in your sort of whole family. You come as a package, if you like with your family, your employers, your friends and, and wider circle. And we try and because actually there's a lot of misunderstanding or lack of awareness about light sensitivity conditions. And so that's a really key thing for us to try and raise awareness, which I suppose is one of the reasons we're here today as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think it's challenging enough having one condition, but having three. Do you know the difference? In other words, if something's happening, would you be able to think it's more of the one or the I other? No, when I get an immediate reaction, it's solar articaria, but only because Dr. Wilson and staff have told me. I had no idea prior to that. The same with the delayed reaction, only mm. because I've been told. All I knew was suddenly something was wrong with my skin and I couldn't possibly differentiate between them. And it's through the skill and knowledge here in Nine Wells that I actually can deal with it now and I've moved on, but without the staff here. It's all that learning It's a very and learning from other people with these conditions. Have you... I never met anyone else until the Zoom sessions that we've had recently, and they've made a huge difference psychologically as well as emotionally. Um, the first one I found interesting and really learned a lot. The second one I really enjoyed because it's really the only time I've been comfortable to see or open up slightly about my condition with other people that know without having to get into detail or having to produce a picture to explain this is what I'm dealing with. It's not just a wee bit of redness in the sun. 
it's actually got more of an impact in my life. So those Zoom sessions have been really useful to you absolutely. from that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I think, Sally, you were alluding to a lot of things in medicine where we have this sort of physical problem, mm. but quite often the psychology of having that problem and the social consequences yes. are bigger mm. and more challenging. Have you found that at all, just your whole social life? Your, My whole life has changed quite quickly in a matter of 24 months, I would say, the first two years. Close family, friends don't understand it. Some of them, it's too difficult for them, so they drift away. Your circle, my circle personally, got much smaller. Many people that I thought I would have classed as close friends, including family members, to this day still can't understand my condition. You're putting it on, you're acting it up, mm. it's not that bad. And then if you show them, it's, oh, what, did you get your picture taken or something? It's very difficult for them. And they have their own issues in life, so... You tend to just let it go and go on with it, but your circle gets very small. I'm from a large family, and out of all the people, and as I say, some that I would have called close friends, only one person's ever changed the light bulbs in their house for me, like we did in ours. Mm -hmm. And that's the only house we go to visit, really. Um, we will have very short visits in one other household, but we don't tend to visit people anymore because... It's too difficult. You can't ask someone, can I come to your house for a cup of tea? And will you change your light bulb, shut your curtains and give them a list of things to do? So you tend to immediately be isolated much more at home. And then even people coming in, they don't understand why you're sitting in a darkened room. And let's go out in the garden and sit. You think, I'll give that a bye today. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Because they don't. And it's, so it's you don't really want tough. to pull people That's down it. all the time. Yeah. So you just smile and nod and... Mm -hmm. work with it. It's quite difficult. To what sort of strategies have you developed for yourself to adapt? You... For me, yeah. I changed my thought process, mm -hmm. behaviour, environment, everything. In the house, we did all the practical things immediately, changed our light bulbs, blackout curtains, slap lines, everything, mm -hmm. all the practical things. Got our prescription items for things that I was allergic to, like soap, moisturising creams, things like this. And then it was a case of looking at the clothing aspect, umbrella, the big wide-brimmed hat, gloves when you go out. Then it was actually venturing out the door. That took me mm -hmm. a couple of months to actually cross that threshold because I've never particularly liked hats. And to suddenly have to wear a hat all the time going out was incredibly difficult mm -hmm. because I thought, oh, it's too uncomfortable, I don't like it. And it was to myself I was saying it, not to anyone else, because... My husband is quite protective and I didn't want him to be burdened with that, so I kept very much to myself and forced myself to go out the door. And it was a very hard learning curve because I had one person that crossed the road because she thought my condition was contagious. I mm -hmm. had other people come up and ask me, did I think I was a film star? Um, the way I was dressed. I had other people give me abuse, try and take my glasses off, try and take my hat off. Uh, did you lose the corks off your hat? Are you just back from holiday, etc.? Where's your horse? Because you're wearing a wide-brimmed hat. And then you have the other group of people that take a step by you. They'll either laugh in your face as they're approaching you or they start laughing as soon as they're mm -hmm. one step behind you. Did you see the state of that? That was very, very that hard really tough. to deal with. Yeah. And it took me a long time. I, I was crying on and off for two years constantly. And... Looking back from my family, that must have been hard, but I kept most of that from them and just kept it to myself because 
they didn't need that as well as everything else I was putting on them. But their lives had changed as much as mine. And eventually, my husband caught me one day and he said, what is it? I said, oh, it's just people. It's their problem, not mine, which is easy to say, but it's hard to deal with. And he didn't believe how bad it was till he came out with me. And when he walked and saw how people were behaving, these were neighbours and people in my own area. He found that very hard as well. He was very, very angry when he came in. Mm -hmm. So I then, I changed trying to go out mm -hmm. in the light. I started walking at night time. So I would go out 11, 12 o'clock at night, walk down, see amazing shooting stars, a deer running down the middle of the road. Flowers are amazing by moonlight. You only have to look at them. It's so different. And anybody you met, people say, it's very dangerous. And I say, oh, yes, it can be. I'm a great believer your guardian angel watches over you and I've never came to any harm, never. The people that I do meet, shift workers, people going about, they're always very polite, say hello and walk on. I'm now, greatest problems, the number of foxes that are out there that are joining you. <laughs> actually, A whole new world. Well, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I thoroughly enjoy it. So you go walking early morning or late at night instead of in the middle of a sunny day. So adapting to those because your sleeping mm -hmm. pattern changes, everything changes. And as I say, it's not just me, it's the whole family because they're impacted as well when they're coming into the room and the curtains are shut. And, yeah, and I think you very clearly sort of illustrate there and how there's unfortunately at the moment, although there are a few disease-specific patient support groups, there isn't a sort of photosensitivity patient support group as such. And it was one of the driving forces behind us sort of trying to get going with our patient engagement programme was this recognition that patients like you really often would report that they could feel a bit lonely or isolated mm -hmm. because even their family members and things didn't really understand what it meant to be sun sensitive. And of course, many sun sensitive conditions are not extreme, but you know, obviously in your case, you do have quite significant major problems with sun exposure and it does impact you all, all throughout the year. So our patient engagement program, one of the purposes of the sort of, well, we initially started it back in 2019 and had it in person at the V&A in Dundee. But of course, with the pandemic, we then switched to this virtual format, which it still is at the moment. And I think we will go back to a sort of hybrid, in part face to face, in part remote format going forward. One of the pluses about the virtual format is it does allow anyone to join without the faff of having to work out can I get to time off work. Yeah, well they're across away, the entire of Scotland, yeah. so it does increase access. But it was to try and make the experience less lonely and to try and have shared safe environments, shared stories and exchange, you know, is it can be anything from where do you get the best scarves to some protect you when you're out walking or hill walking through to your coping strategies for emotionally challenging times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I know in the last podcast, one of the gentlemen said, have you actually got covering on your windows? And I said, yeah, we replace it every five years as well, which again is an additional cost on the family yeah. um, because that's another five, six hundred pounds for that. When you change your car every three years, that's another five, six hundred pounds to mm. get your car windows all done again. So it's a very expensive lifestyle yeah. that you adapt mm -hmm. to yeah. and you do try and economise because clothing you can layer up in the clothing quick way hold it up to the light if you can see through it so can the sunshine mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter about the style cost or quality it's about 
Yes, to to essential practical tips. Yeah, clothing. yes, no, and I think you highlight a few notes that may be worth saying a little bit more on on the sun protection side of things, because if you are, as in your case, UVA and visible light sensitive, then normal standard window glass lets through UVA and visible light. It blocks UVB, but it does allow transmission of UVA and visible light. So there is a window film that we advise for patients with UVA and visible light sensitivity that can be fitted at home, but it can also be fitted on the side windows of a car, for example. Because of the laminate in the windscreen, the windscreen will block all UV anyway, but the side windows will let through UVA invisible light. And the window film is transparent, so you can't see it, so it's legally fine. Unfortunately, it's not available on prescription and you do have to purchase it and get it fitted yourself. And with respect to the clothing, we always say avoid going for these very high cost sun protective specific clothing because as you quite rightly say the the weave of the cloth is most important for any given fabric if you are say as you are an uva visible sensitive that if you take the same fabric you will probably get about twice the protection if it's a darker color than a lighter color but the weave of it is most important so if you hold it up and you stretch it and you can see through them a note there really about sort of rash vests swim vests if you're on a holiday abroad just be aware that If you pack your rash vest away in a case and bring it out the next year and you've washed it a few times, it will lose some of its protection because the stretch goes. Mm -hmm. So, And you also mentioned a bit about the Dundee creams. Mm -hmm. So that is one thing that we do offer advice on is sun protection, including sunscreens. So sunscreens, you obviously need sunscreens for bits that in your case you can't cover up or you can't keep in the shade. And your average sunscreen is pretty good these days but even just for normal sunburn protection you divide the number on the bottle by three or four to get the real level of protection but if you have visible light sensitivity and long uva then some of the sort of conventional sunscreens that you would use don't offer you as much protection as they might into that visible part of the spectrum so there we would recommend the Dundee creams, which are manufactured by Tayside Pharmaceuticals, which are what are called reflectant sunscreens that offer a bit of extra protection into that visible blue-violet light part of the spectrum. There are other sunscreens that will offer that similar level of protection, and there's a new range of mineral sunscreen products from La Roche-Posay that offer some reasonable protection into that short visible, but they're unfortunately not available on prescription, whereas for patients with visible light sensitivity, the Dundee creams are. There are probably also lots of other sunscreens out there now that offer that similar level of protection, but we just haven't really tested those out in the lab, so we don't know, whereas this mineral range I mentioned we have tested in the lab. But sunscreens have come on in leaps and bounds. But going back to your allergy, any sunscreen product will typically have five or six different sunscreen chemicals in it. Now, you are allergic to two sunscreen chemicals, so it's a bit of CSI detective work for you, isn't it? If it, You're best to stick with what we advise on and not waver from that, yes. um, just because we know that they'll be allergen-free for you. But if you are to choose new sunscreens, then it has to be a bit of detective work working out from the label to make sure that... That's what yeah. you use and they're tinted, aren't they? So yes, because most people initially, I remember one of the times coming in and the doctor said, were well, you wearing makeup? 
I says, well, yes, but it's Dundee cream makeup. <laughs> I just, it took me about the two year learning yeah. curve and I mix them up in a tub now. The two creams, two shades, the pink and the beige. I mix them up so it looks like foundation on yeah. the face and neck. Any part that's exposed, mm. I cover with the cream. And as I say, it took me about two years to learn what worked for me. And that works well for me because nobody realises that it's Dundee cream. They just think it's makeup that I'm wearing which suits me fine with the dark glasses in my hat. Gives you some and, and, and something I've never thought of in our previous podcast is, is look protection mm. and these, what's good and, you know, just advice. To there are SPF 30 and 50, most of them are 30 actually, lip protection, mm -hmm. like the sort of more sort of Vaseline type based, mm -hmm. uh, like lip salves that you can use. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we would recommend those really. I always carry a sponge with me with some cream on it um, so that I can top up. Like if I take my mask off and I think my face needs to ah. I just get my cream and I put some on a little sponge, carry it with me wrapped in tinfoil and whenever I need it, I can take it out and use it. just dab it on and freshen yeah. up if I wipe my eye. You've got it already. And use it with me, I carry it with me everywhere yeah. so that I can just top up if needed. Mm. And tell us a bit about your vitamin D. Um, yes. In terms of the, you take, take supplements, don't you? Take my vitamin D every day because mm. obviously you're not getting any sunlight mm. into your skin at mm. all. So that's how I get my vitamin D. If I didn't have the mm. tablets, then how else would I get it? And I get checked for it again at yeah. nine wells. But yeah. it's something that I wouldn't have considered. Yes, because vitamin D is an interesting one because mm. it's quite a big vitamin and it's not actually, even mm. for people who are not light sensitive, it's quite a big vitamin that's not terribly well absorbed through the gut. For all of us, the main way we get vitamin D is the effects of UVB on the skin. So just by virtue of living in Scotland, a significant proportion of the Scottish population will be vitamin D insufficient or deficient anyway. Now, we know that vitamin D is important for bone health. It may also be, it has been linked or deficiency has been linked with a variety of other conditions, but we definitely know it is important for bone health. So... It's very hard to get good levels through the diet alone unless you're eating industrial amounts of things like mackerel, oily fish, salmon. So for many of our patients, we would recommend vitamin D supplements and we tend to do a yearly check on vitamin D levels just to see how your vitamin D levels are doing. And that's just a blood test. Yeah, yep. yeah, it's a blood test we take here. It's actually sent to Glasgow. It's analysed in Glasgow. So in your case, Anne, you've come from Glasgow, so, <laughs> so your blood test will be following you. So we usually write to patients afterwards because it takes about three weeks to get the results back. Just with a wee letter to say, yes, your vitamin D level's fine, keep doing what you're doing, or it's a bit low, take this instead. But it doesn't change quickly, so we check it once a year at the most. So you check that, yeah. yeah. And Sally, the question I had in my mind was just, you know, what is the long-term story with these conditions? Do they get better? Do they get worse? Do they stay yeah. the same? Is there a... So, yeah, well, well, sort of solar urticaria, unfortunately, can be quite persistent. We do know that sort of relatively long term follow. I mean, there is hope for improvement and indeed resolution. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking about their natural history, that is without treatments. So the natural history of resolution is probably around about 20 to 30 percent of mm -hmm. people will find it does eventually burn out over many years. With chronic actinic dermatitis, about half of the people with that condition, their light sensitivity will go back to normal. But again, it can take years to do so. And in polymorphic light eruption, the long-term follow-up data are not that great. But So it is hard to know 
what the actual true natural clearance of the condition is versus people accommodating to living well with it. Most people with polymorphic light eruption on its own will accommodate to live well with it. Having said that, in Anne's case, you've been now on this biologic drug called omelisumab, which actually blocks what's called the IgE receptor. It blocks the antibody-mediated effect mm -hmm. in serotocaria. So interestingly, in Anne's condition, we've now, through that, abolished the immediate light sensitivity. So when we tested you today or yesterday, we weren't actually able to elicit any abnormal immediate urticaria reactions. And that's great and very positive. And if you only have urticaria, then probably around two thirds of people, we can manage extremely well with that approach. And we have patients who now have essentially totally normal lives and can go on holidays abroad and live their lives. And is that a sort of tablet today? It's an injection, subcutaneous injection. injection. Uh -huh. Usually every four to six weeks, you take yours every five weeks, don't you? And so that can be hugely helpful. In mm -hmm. Anne's case, I'm sorry, I'm not meaning to speak for you, Anne, and I'll let you say what your thoughts on all this are in a moment. But we have abolished that immediate effect, which is great. But because you have these two other conditions, the problem that you're now faced with is more the delayed reactions. But it does mean, whereas before you were maybe only able to go out for minutes over the course of the day. You were saying yesterday you can go up to about 90 minutes, maybe not all in one go, but you can get out for longer chunks. So Sorry, you, you yeah. please say a word no, down. Simply just even when I first came, walking out to the garden to put the bins out would produce a reaction. And that was literally two minutes out to the garden and back. Going to the car, walking from the door to the car would produce a reaction. So with the help of the various tablets and now the omalazumab, that's made a huge difference. And I remember my daughter announced that I was going to be a granny. The only thing I wanted was to be able to play with my grandchildren. And I remember telling Sally that as well, that all I want to do is be able to have my grandchildren see them as normal. Mm -hmm. And I can now actually take my granddaughter to school. Fantastic. I mean, we'll drive up in the car 10 minutes and then that's a five minute walk. But the point is, I can walk her to school now and I can take her in and we can pick her up some days as well. And you think, I can watch my wee grandson out in the garden and run out for five minutes to him. That's something that would never have crossed my mind before. But now I can do that. And if I stay out too long, fair enough, you take the hit for it, you will get a reaction because you've been too long. But the fact that I can do it, my whole life's amazing. Just so lovely to hear those improvements. Mm. You know, what's happening yeah for me it's astonishing and i know it's got a lot of downsides but i've got the huge upside of it now 10 years down the line because with all the assistance from nine wells if i didn't have nine wells i don't know where i would be but with all the help here the staff here and also the folk in glasgow that helped me as well the staff there are marvelous too they all together and i know if i need anything i can pick the phone up and ask and if they don't have the answer, they'll try and find an answer for me or help me to find an answer. And having that knowledge is a great sense of security. Yeah, just all that support. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And we've covered a lot in this session. Are there bits that we've missed, you know, in the way this has affected you? And Sally, I, same question I have for both of you. Are there any little things that you can think of that we've not... No, I mean, your social life's covered. disappeared, your... Holidays just uh, mm -hmm. not something you think about, but I don't tend to focus on those things. 
I look at what I've gained now. Mm -hmm. um, apart from my grandchildren, prior to that, I would do family history and I discovered huge amounts about my family because I'd always wanted to do it. Like most people working, you don't have the time. So I learned huge amounts. You just adapted in other yeah. ways. Yeah. I just found things to do. And the very, very beginning, I remember what I did was I started a new hobby each year. So I remember people are always playing these computer games. I can't remember what you call the handset. I said, right, that's my hobby for this year. So my son, I remember, bought me one of these. I still can't play them to this day. <laughs> but for a year, I tried. And then the next year, I decided I'm going to learn to play a musical instrument this year. And I got a recorder and I was awful. <laughs> but that, for a year, I gave it a go. So each year, I gave myself a different project to focus mm -hmm. on and work Another on. Another challenge. Yeah. yeah, so that I wasn't focusing solely on my health and how it affected me. I was looking for something else. That's a bit of wisdom that we should all take on. Exactly. Board, no matter exactly. What, You're making us feel very guilty here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think you mentioned also about not going abroad. And, and I think that is worth, worth a note as well that, I mean, a, another important role of ours is to try and help support you and others with light sensitivity to live as normal a life as possible and not mm -hmm. to have it stop you doing things. Mm -hmm. and, and so we do actually have many patients who have thought, oh, could I ever go abroad? Could I ever? And who actually have very successfully managed to go abroad on holiday without any problem. And I'm sure that at least part of it is the simple explanation that when people go abroad, they alter how they manage it. I'm not talking about your no, no. <laughs> light sensitivity because I know you have big problems with it, Anne, but you know, maybe for people with milder end point mm -hmm. of light eruption, actually many people can very successfully go abroad and it does seem as though possibly the interaction of wavelengths, the exposure you would get abroad is a little different. I know I have had patients who've actually emigrated and moved abroad and their light sensitivity that they were very troubled with here, they've actually not been troubled with when they've gone abroad. Mm. And we've experienced people who've moved in the south of England and come up north to Scotland who have started the first time to be troubled. Yeah. So I think there's a lot that we don't fully understand mm. about types of exposure, levels of exposure. I worked for a wee while in Sydney, in Australia, and they really don't see much polymorphic light eruption, for example. And I'm sure the reason they don't is because patients are hardened mm -hmm. and desensitized. So I think our role is to, as you say, try and help support you and try and find out if we don't know the answers, then try and find out answers for you. But try and help support you to live as normal a life with your family, with your friends, on your holidays, going about your life, your work as much as possible. And it was absolute delight to our ears to hear that you were able, I remember you coming up so excited because you'd been able to walk with the pram with your new granddaughter in it. Right, over to the park. Over to the park. So that was just lovely. Pre-COVID, yeah. I was given Sally hugs. You had no idea <laughs> of the joy. Just wow. being able to do that, it was astonishing, astonishing. Just to be able to walk in a park with my granddaughter in the pram. And now my wee grandson as well. All those think. simple pleasures we take for the granted. Simplest mm. yeah. 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 The simplest of things, the simplest. And longer term, just when Sally was saying, I thought I was going to ask, is it possible to go to Ireland in a year or two for my genealogy, simply to walk around graveyards? You know, yes. that's how, but there's a lot of information and headstones I can use. So <laughs> that's, that's yeah. one of my next goals. So yeah. I think it's just dealing with it. Well, so there's lots of adventures ahead. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Definitely.
Well, then, thank you so much. I, I can't thank you enough for, from on behalf of all of us well, for thank sharing you so, so much. Thank you so much of you know your experience and wisdom and everything you've learned from this. And, and Sally, thank you for all the thank you, academic side of things. <laughs> and um, if you've enjoyed this podcast and would like to learn more about light sensitivities, please have a listen to some of our other episodes. There's also a wealth of information on the NHS Photobiology website. Details of how to find this can be found in the podcast description box. Thank you.